I think founders are super good at solving problems. I think it, it's it's a really common sort of skill amongst founders. The problem comes when you're trying to solve the wrong problem. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nidalek, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, James. James, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, my pleasure, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So give us a highlight of who you are and what you do for business. Uh, it's quite simple. So I'm a founder coach. I work with founders from sort of Sequoia backs through to bootstrap founders. Um, and I really specialize in the area where they start heading into the growth danger zone and have successfully got from zero to one. And it's now like in the sort of the scaling part and whole, whole new challenges await. Nice. I love it. So first off, before we get started, give me your definition of scaling part, because I know a lot of people have different views of that. And then we'll get into how you got into coaching as a thing. Sure. So for, for me, I think that once you've got, it's different for different businesses, but I think that's so zero to one stage, you're, you're a founder, you're quite focused on survival, you've got an idea. I mean, it's tough, but actually it's quite, your outcome is quite simple, which is just survival. And then you get to a stage where you've survived, you've got revenue, you've got profit, and actually the challenges become different, and that can be around. <laughs> and now you get headaches. <laughs> yeah, it's like well, you, it's 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 almost like the, the problems of success. It's kind of like you've got so many options on the table. Strategically, you can do more things. Like all the all the ideas, suddenly you've got the time and thought to explore them. You've got bigger team. You start bringing in like a management layer. And you start getting to the stage where you're kind of your revenues might be increasing, but suddenly you feel like your profits dropping mm -hmm. and you've got all these headaches you're not used to. And you feel out of control in the business because you've got like you're trying to manage through managers. And you, you probably find your, your hours are racking up, especially with my clients, the hours start racking up because it's kind of like 50 hour week, 60 hour week, 70 hour week. And actually the time just seems to go. And there's just this lingering sense that where is this going? Like I'm, I'm kind of, I've got this clear idea roughly where I want to be, but I feel like I'm sort of off track from that. And it's just we like will, the wheels are spinning. Yeah. We, and we will totally delve into that in a minute because I think that's a really important stage of business to understand what's going on and why it happens. Cause we often feel like we're gaslighting ourselves in that moment, but let's back up the bus a little bit and go, how did you get into coaching that phase as a thing? So I suppose my, my my career to date took me into that. So my first seven years, I worked for a multinational doing business turnaround. So that was like 130,000 person business. And I, they put me across different countries. Um, so my last business, my last role with them was turning around an engineering business in the Philippines, um, which was kind of cool. Um, and then I cut sort of a startup phase where I went to start with a friend, which was like, it was successful Success theatre-wise is successful. Like we had some really good partnership. We won awards, but fundamentally we had to shut it down because it wasn't actually, we never got the traction that we needed. And then I moved into, and I scaled a business and we took it, won like international awards for, for scaling. Um, and then I just got to a stage where personally, so I kind of had the founder experience and I'd kind of done it. And I got to that stage myself where I was kind of, I was superficially successful but actually I was very stressed personally and I wasn't achieving what I wanted to do. And there's this whole narrative around, oh, well, worry about your personal stuff when you've, when you've exited or, 
and me and my wife had been trying to have a kid and we were unsuccessful for about for a while and it just got to the stage it was like this is not the life this is this, this path is not going to take us the life that we want mm-hmm. um, and I actually had a coach for six years and that was really helpful for me in terms of really just crystallizing these thoughts and so eventually I sold the business in 2020 and thought I'd really benefit from coaching and I thought that I've always been some people I had the skill set from the business perspective I had the skill set strategically and practically and I could help them there and then I did qualification on coaching to make sure I could really help the personal stuff because a real thing that I try and bring to people is actually it's not don't choose business over personal like it's it's most powerful when you choose business and personal and that actually helps you achieve your business objectives more it's kind of counterintuitive but it's the whole idea of work-life balance implies you have to make a choice between the two and actually that's 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 not correct nice i love it well and i i am a huge advocate of choosing lifestyle first so that you know how to build your business <laughs> and as i'd like to say it's once you've made that choice 90 percent of the options are off the table so it makes it a lot easier to not get into that phase where you're gaslighting yourself trying to figure out what you should be doing a hundred percent and i also think our definition of success we set when we're so young mm-hmm. and we don't really come back to re-examine it like we start work and we just like we're constantly trying to chase and like we've got this kind of immature definition of success which can be like oh corner office or hundreds of people or sort of a yacht or whatever it is and actually when you when you take a step back and go okay i'm x years old what do i value today it's often a very different answer and that and that helps really clarify what you need to do that until you take that time to take a step back and go what outcome do i want today or in three years time it's very hard then to make all the decisions you need to make in order to to get there Absolutely. Well, and I think it's kind of like goal setting in general. It's just most people don't have the wherewithal to become serialpreneurs to achieve a whole ton of them. But when we, if somebody sets out to own a boat, they don't really realize all the ramifications that come along with owning a boat. (laughs) Same thing happens when we set these goals, dreams, and aspirations for what do I want my business to look like? We don't really know what the ramifications are of that decision. Because I know when you describe your life of working for a multinational and getting flown all around the world, it sounds very um, romantic in my eyes that, oh, yeah, you get to travel around the world, you get to see everything. And you you probably saw the fuselage of a lot of airplanes and a lot of airports and (laughs) a lot of boardrooms. Yeah, even even my last business, like we had offices in Singapore, we had them in Zurich, we had other countries. And like I'd be away from home for quite a significant amount amount of time and then even though I was in London I'd be in the office early and throughout the day and or I'd be out with clients in the evening so it's kind of it was a study rose if we were to have a kid mm. I would <laughs> never see them <laughs> I wouldn't see them so what kind of how was I going to have a kid in the first place and then how how if I had them would I actually be there for them mm. um and suddenly success no longer felt like trying to go step back success wasn't hundreds of people and there's enough stuff it was actually family still with business success but in a slightly different vein like working with fewer people higher impact just different absolutely well and when it comes to again running one's own business i think a lot of people don't realize that they have so many options 
Like they don't realize that that's their choice, that not every business is built exactly the same where you, where you have to run it the exact same way. I mean, it just doesn't happen that way. There are three primary elements of a business, but then after that, <laughs> whatever you want is your, your game. So particularly yeah. as the founder, like we're kind of locked into this idea as a founder. Oh, well, I need to be, I need to be present. I need to be first in last out. I need to be all of these things we feel that we need to be. And actually that's not what our team value. It's not what helps us and it's not what leads to success. So you're right. Like given a year as a founder, you can change everything about your business. It's only our own self limitations or self limiting beliefs that stop us making some of these changes. Nice. I love it. So walk me through what it looks like when somebody's working with you, what kind of aspects of their life are you, are you looking to kind of delve into first and kind of what are the pillars of what you're teaching mm. people? So I think a, a big thing for me is just that clarity around what the end goal looks like from a, mm-hmm. from an integrated work and personal perspective because we often have that kind of huge five sort of 50 page five-year plan with numbers attached to it from a work perspective and our personal ones we said earlier kind of oh I'll, I'll figure out when I retire or when I exit so I think taking that time to go okay what's our future moment in three to five years time that that really signifies that kind of connected success mm-hmm. then taking a step back and looking at what's this how to sequence backwards from that point in order to get to that step, but it's important to it backwards rather than forwards. Mm-hmm. And then I think a step that a lot of people value, but don't miss it, but would miss otherwise is kind of unfreeze. Because I think in our heads, we have all of these ideas and all of these tasks that have just built up over time. It's kind of like, I just need to get these done before I even give myself permission to do this bigger piece of work. And so what I find quite interesting is some clients, I can jump straight to the, what's your future moment look like? Then we do the sequencing and then we do the unfreeze process to like, so they can get going. Some clients actually need to do the unfreeze process first in order just to get everything out to like clear out their head. So they even almost feel like they've earned the right to look at the future. So I think the elements are quite, and I support them forward is kind of the fourth step in terms of coaching and make support them on that journey. But I think step three can be step one, depending on the client, but it's, it's those four things. It's, get that future moment right, sequence backwards, unfreeze, and then support forwards. Absolutely. I love that because I think a lot of our clients come to us. They're like, oh, I just have to get my webpage finished. I've just paid somebody to do this thing. We're just going to do that thing. I'm like, everything you're talking about is going to be a complete waste of time because all of it's wrong. (laughs) None of it is going to get you where you want to go. So there's really no point. And I know it sucks because they've probably spent a lot of time, money, effort, attachment <laughs> to this idea of whatever it is they're building, but it just doesn't get them to their goals. Like it's completely moot. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a lovely term called technical debt that, <laughs> that, that CTOs use. And the idea is as you build and build and build, you create this technical debt of all these things you ought to do or should do. And actually, I think founders do exactly the same thing. And actually, that might help you get towards path A, but actually, if you're trying to go for path B, it can just be wiped. Absolutely. Especially if somebody wants to go from, you know, they've been building this accolade of, oh, I want a really big business. I want an international business. And then it's like, no, I really want a laptop lifestyle. And it's like, (laughs) then all of this, you don't really have to finish. You just have to stop. Well, I mean, you you get this even strategically. Like, So a client of mine 
they built this massive business and then they realized that half of their business was irrelevant mm-hmm. because the whole idea was to sell it. A buyer would, would just not value because their business was split into sort of service revenue, like tech, tech recurring revenue yeah. and service line revenue. A buyer would only value the recurring revenue. So half of their revenue was irrelevant, which meant, and that actually part of the business took up more than half of his time. Just so that, just that insight of going, actually, I'm trying to sell the business. It's only going to value here. Therefore, I don't need to be doing all this stuff. A month later, he'd found a partner to outsource it all to, and he got 60% of his time back. Yay! I <laughs> love that. That's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, it's when we, I, I think it's a lot of it has to do with, I have this idea. I have to nurture it. I have to prove that I can, I can build my dreams. I can build my, I can do what I said I was going to do. And Mm. oftentimes in the entrepreneurial world, what we think is necessary in doing what we said we were going to do isn't necessary. And it comes back to kind of the 80, 20 rule of revenue and success and being able to get into the flow of what we do effortlessly doesn't really require effort. <laughs> yeah, and I and I think we get caught up in this idea of efficiency over effectiveness. It's like it's kind of like, oh, how can I manage my time more effectively? How can I get more done? How can I? And actually, it's the wrong question. The question, the first question we're asking is, should I even be doing it in the first place? And the reason is, we've kind of throughout our career, we start and we're junior, and we kind of oh, you get given a task like do it more effectively, and you get a bit more senior, it's like do it more effectively and get your team to do it more effectively. And then you become a founder and literally you could do, you could fill up your diary a hundred times, no problem at all. So actually trying to be more efficient is kind of the last thing you need to be worrying about. There are things you can do to be more efficient, but there's, there's a, like, there's important things to do first. Nice. So have you noticed that there's a difference with different models of kind of things that think people should be looking at? So for example, if somebody has a local retail outlet versus somebody that has kind of a national versus somebody that has an international company, when they're looking at their kind of the end goal, their productivity, what they want to achieve, is there kind of elements of their business that are going to be different? Or is it like, walk me through how you take somebody through that process of seeing, because I know a lot of, and I'll get to, (laughs) there's going to be 27 questions in here by the time I'm done, but Oftentimes I will see people looking at, well, I just need the marketing. I just need to know how to get to my target market here. I just need to have this operational thing smoother. And they don't really know how to look at their business as to um, Mm. to start strategizing for it because they're still so busy in the weeds of the tactics. But I also see that there's a difference uh, potentially uh, of whether somebody has a local, a national or an international business, but they might not. I think there's probably two common things that I would say regardless. One is that a lot of people find it very hard to be on their business rather than in their business. And that's a bit of a truism, but particularly when you start getting busy, you become so head down. It's like, I just don't have time. Like I don't have time to plan. I don't have time to think. I don't, I just need to get it done. And then at that stage, you're very much at the wrong end of what I call the 110, 100 triangle. You're very much in the fixing and firefighting stage rather than the planning. Mm. And that's where coaching can really help to like just take that step back. And go, no, no, let's take let's take an hour and let's just breathe and think about what we're trying to achieve. And actually so much stuff becomes simpler. So I think being on it really helps. And then I think the other 
common issue is that I think founders are super good at solving problems. I think it, it's it's a really common sort of skill amongst founders. The problem comes when you're trying to solve the wrong problem. And I think as, as you identified, it, the, someone might come to me and go, oh, the problem is X. And it's not to say that X is not a problem, but it's not the it's not the cause it's not it's not the root problem it's just a surface problem and so if you dig a bit deeper the question might be like oh how do i how do i you're saying how how do i do this marketing tactic more effectively actually the root cause might be how do i retain customers or my, what what's my <laughs> i don't have the right product market fit or actually my profitability is level is wrong so actually taking the time to really listen with an external perspective, but with that experience from like lots of different industries and go, okay, well, you that's actually the surface problem, but actually the root cause is this and addressing this not only fixes this problem, it affixes this one, this one, this one, and this one. So I think those are the, 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 the two things that I, I see come out time and again. Absolutely. Well, and I think, it, our businesses, because we're emotionally attached, them become this, what I call it, the Christmas lights of <laughs> time gone past. We're we're so busy intertwining things that eventually it just becomes this knot. And we need somebody else's help to be able to line up our thoughts um, kind of individually so that we can look at them one at a time, not necessarily how they're interacting with everything else yet, and then go, okay. And then we get into that point of, what yep. I think when th this is, this is when I was with Jardines, what they taught me is like business is business. And I think I was unusual in that I was taught most people could grow up in business and they're specialists. They learn to become, let's say, a marketer, they're a junior marketer, a senior marketer, marketing director, then they run a marketing business and they're a specialist in marketing. I'm unusual in that I was trained to be a generalist from day one. So I was a junior manager, then a manager, and I was given all the toolkit in terms of I've got an accounting qualification I was taught sales I ran all the different parts of a business throughout my first seven years in different countries so for me a business is a business it's kind of like being a company doctor like on the surface we look different but fundamentally you want blood flow for people to be alive <laughs> and actually business is not too different like you want a good leader you want clear structure you want to make sure that you've got good information you want to make sure that your cash is looked after and so it's Every business feels, every industry goes, oh, well, we're different. It's like, well, actually, you're not really. Yeah. Like, there are nuances. <laughs> Do you have marketing, sales, and accounting? Well, you're probably the same. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't, you need to get one of those in place. <laughs> Pretty much out. Awesome. So what would you say is your favorite part of your business now? I, th I think the favorite piece of feedback I've had in the last four, last three years, probably. One of my clients there and said, I'm, I'm enjoying my business again for the first time in four years. Ah, And I think. It's huge. It is. Because, I mean, it was because of business success. I mean, his business had grown like different story, but he he ended up simplifying his business for a different reason, focused on one product line out of three and actually ended up took a sort of step back and then took 10 steps forward because actually his revenue then went up by five because he was really focused on the right thing. Nice. But it was just like helping him design his new role, helping him get clear on what the key drivers were in his business, helping him like connect with his team differently. 
and actually meant and just creating time for himself as well and just giving I think as founders we're very bad about giving ourselves permission to look after ourselves and sometimes working with the coach is quite nice that someone go are you are you spending time for yourself are you like how does yourself feature into your success because actually as the founder you're the most important part of your business you're, mm -hmm. you are your business <laughs> so I I love what I do because I work with some really interesting people doing some really interesting things and actually you can really see the impact both personally and at the bottom line yeah and it's very it's just very satisfying I love it so it's a great Cinderella story. Do you have any stories like one that was your kind of, this is a fascinating business, one that you were like totally either intrigued with or fascinated with? Mm. In what way? Do you mean the... I don't know. <laughs> what way do you get intrigued by your clients? <laughs> it's all about picking your brain and finding out what makes you tick. Um... Well, that's a good question. Yeah, it could have been just, you know, Joe Painter. It could have been uh, international widget sales. <laughs> I don't know. What I do know is I'm going to keep talking until you think of something, though, because I don't want dead air. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with you thinking. I'm just going to talk while you do it. <laughs> Ten is like a filibuster. Um, <laughs> so I would. So the thing that's coming to mind is like one. One is just that genuinely, all of my clients with their businesses, I do genuinely find fascinating because it's the thing I love about business is that it's a very simple game in theory. You can just play it in so many different ways with so many different personalities, and therefore it's like an. And you you can be quite clear on like, are you doing well or not? Mm -hmm. But how you do it is almost limitless. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the most recent example I can give that I think is really fascinating is looking at a. Generally, I've worked actually with solo founders because they they run into all the issues of being isolated and like not having the support that they need, and it's kind of that's been really fascinating but i've i've been working with quite a few co-founder pairings recently because there's there's something about the co-founder dynamic it's where crazy. you feel you sh <laughs> it's crazy it is crazy because <laughs> you feel you're kind of married together in a professional setting yeah you feel like you should be entirely on the same page but you almost can't be and you probably don't have the time you you most people don't give it the time like in any relationship enough time to actually talk and check in and you're so focused on the business that you can know each other's personal and your own personal and over time that can that can build so mm -hmm. actually these guys run a really really great marketing business and Fine. they're doing they're doing really well doing really great things but they actually got originally got in touch with me just to reconnect personally and that's mm -hmm. led to all sorts of insight around the business as well but it was interesting that they had that awareness to go there's something in this that isn't quite working at the moment it should be we still both believe in each other and it's great but the cracks are beginning to show and mm -hmm. 
almost like marriage counseling for business owners. <laughs> I actually went up with them and they were sitting and they were sitting on a sofa together. We were sitting in a co-working space and then the two of them on the sofa and I was sitting on a chair. I was like, this really does feel like like marriage, marriage counseling. <laughs> um to, to a degree it is. Um but I think the fashion it's, it's just really how the, the person I keep I talk about it all the time, like the personal business so interact. Like you, oh, yeah. you, you really can't separate the two. And if both are really firing and you feel good as a person and you feel good about your business, it just short shortcuts the whole process. Because I think there's this whole narrative around, oh, well, overnight success. Oh, you see all the stuff on LinkedIn about, oh, they've been successful in, look what they've achieved in two years. And it's just not real. Like so much of it's success theatre. And actually going into it, going, actually, I'm going to need to spend probably five to 10 years on this. So if I don't want to spend five to 10 years doing this, and I don't want to spend five to 10 years with this person, and if I am going to spend five to 10 years with this person, that is a relationship that's going to require a lot of work. Mm. You approach things very differently because you're not rushing. You invest in things that are important. You take the time to think about the future. You take the time to invest in relationship. You take the time to invest in yourself because you're not trying to sprint a marathon. Mm -hmm. And so much the language that we use is around, oh, stretch goals, sprints. And actually, if you you can't remain under stretch for 10 years. You can't sprint a marathon. So it's it's just get realizing that and then sort of taking the appropriate steps, which is looking after yourself, getting a coach, thinking about the future, all mm -hmm. of this stuff. The more I'm thinking about it, the more I think if you marketed it this way, <laughs> you could have a very nice tight niche. Because I think of all the partners that I went into business with, we were so dynamically different. It it wasn't like, you know, oh, you take care of this side of the business, I'll take care of that side. It was parallel opposites. <laughs> oh my God, how are, what did we get ourselves into and how do we do it? And then this the current business, I am in business with my partner. He runs the tech side, I run the creative side, but it's only after, you know, 25 some odd years of being in relationships and knowing how to, <laughs> to, to be okay with somebody else making the decisions when I really want to, because I could have a control freak issue thing going on. I know no entrepreneur <laughs> ever had that. Other That's than a very unusual personality type for, uh, for an entrepreneur. Right. But, but even let's say, let's say having a job description, mm -hmm. That that most founders don't have a job description because we feel that something else has it, but actually yeah. that is super helpful to have. And then if you have a co-founder, even though you're like you might be the tech person, you might be the business person, there's nuance, there's nuance beyond just that. Right. So I think getting a lot of clarity out on the table really helps in, in, any, in any relationship, but in the business relationship, it's really powerful. Nice. I love that. So other than thinking you need a marriage counselor with your partner, what are some of the stumbling blocks that somebody might be having listening to this right now going, oh my God, James, we need you in my in our business so bad? Uh, so I think just, just as, a, as a personal, as on the personal side, I think a founder who's going through that sense of being stuck, being isolated, or just feeling just, just like low battery depleted, I think those are kind of the three warning signs that burn out and kind of you're drifting off your path. So people tend to come to me when they're experiencing one of those three things personally. Mm -hmm. I think 
although clearly coming before you start experiencing those things is better because then you can avoid feeling like them. <laughs> but from a, from a business perspective, I think what you start seeing is, or people that come to me, they have got to this, they've got through the zero to one stage and they are in the scaling stage. I kind of move what I call from phase one to phase two. And there's just this sense that the business is not going to take them to where they want to get to. There's this frustration that comes out with kind of like, I'm putting more hours in, I'm working hard, I am growing the business, but because of profit and everything else, it's not working. And also people, because you've grown up as a specialist, maybe marketing, maybe whatever the field is, you're not really, you haven't really done this before in terms of how do you scale? What are the practical ways of scaling a business? How What's the operating rhythm of a bigger business? How do you set up your management structures? What's your, how do you look at cash flow? What what numbers are important? How do you, how do you grow successfully a business? And how do you take a step back and go, okay, I've earned the right now. I've survived. I've earned the right to take that step back and go, what is the next stage really look like? Like what strategy do I want to achieve? I could do a hundred different things at this point. What's the one thing that I really want to do? And then how am I really going to do it to make sure I maximize my chance of success? And how am I really going to focus my time? And how am I going to make sure that I keep on developing as a leader? And how am I going to keep on feeling good about it and maintaining energized and being there for my team and being present and making time for my family? If I want to have a family, I may not. Like these, these are all parts of the discovery process to see what you actually really want as a founder. But I think that's where my skill set and background is helpful because I can address all three. So the strategic, the practical, and the personal. Nice. I love it. Well, I know that some of our listeners are going to be relating to all of those questions, <laughs> but, and they're definitely going to want more from you. How do they start their journey with you? Um, probably easier just to reach out. Uh, my email is james at peer-effect.com or you can see more about me uh, at peer-effect.com peer-effect.com um, and then a lot of people start listening by to my podcast which is Future Fit Founder which just is me coaching other founders through through difficult situations. I love it. So we will of course have James's links in the show notes so just scroll down and go and click on those links. Of course keep listening. So now we're getting into the good part. So James, at what point in life did you know that you're a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? <laughs> uh, I always knew. <laughs> I always knew. It's partly my family. My family are very entrepreneurial. My, my grandfather, my mum's side, had to leave school age 14 because his, his, parents, his parents died, unfortunately. And he had to go to support, basically had to go out and earn money. Mm. Um, ended up growing a successful dog food business originally um my dad got made redundant age 55 and uh ended up setting up two or three very successful businesses um so i think i, I had friends of mine's fathers when i was growing up who got made redundant as well i just just left me with this real thing that, that this this idea of job security is a is a it's a misnomer. Like it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Like just because you're employed by someone, you're actually in some ways much more vulnerable. So mm -hmm. much better to control your own destiny. And I have all the, all the sort of intrinsic uh, sort of desire to be in control, 
all of those all of those traits that a, that an entrepreneur has as you as you think. But I think I'm also slightly unusual in that I really enjoy other people's success, possibly even more than my own, which I've always found throughout my career. Like I've always like when I train people or develop people or colleagues gone to like I, I really I really like that. And I've always supported people outside of my work to do stuff, like help friends set up businesses or for example, I helped my hairdresser set up a, a, her hair salon just just because when she's doing super well, she, um, I helped our dog walker set up a, a dog hydrotherapy center. Like it's, for me, business, I, I love doing it. Like I really, I've always loved business. I like the challenge. I like the variety. And therefore it was always going to be like entrepreneurial was always the only way I could, I could see myself going. I love that. So in your entrepreneurial journey, have you had in the blooper reel done yet? Are oh, they so many. So, <laughs> so many. Any fun ones you might like to share with us? So I suppose the business I referenced, uh, so I have a business called Going Going Bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea was, I sat with a friend of mine who, um, we know, so it's for a 15. And the idea was it was a marketplace for non-stolen second-hand bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, we did, it's we did, non-stolen. We did, a very key point in the tri- tagline. <laughs> it is very key because actually, so <laughs> that's we, kind of hilarious marketing. <laughs> well, the, what we realised was a couple of things. One of which was we had none of the necessary skills to do it. Like we felt that we did, but we had like neither of us had cycling retail or online experience at that stage so it's kind of like we thought oh well he was an ex-lawyer and i was an ex sort of business turnaround guy we had all the skills we needed actually we had none of the skills we needed uh so that was that was lesson one like (laughs) if you're going to do something make sure that one of you knows what they're doing somebody Um, should have ridden a bike at some point (laughs) (laughs) well he could ride a bike i i couldn't i genuinely i couldn't even commute i couldn't get on a, on a road when we first started i had to learn um but uh hey, that's funny it was what the hell the, does the, you the, have the, a the bike first, company when you could ride a bike so at the first week he was like look if we're going to do this you've got to learn to cycle on roads so the first week he would cycle to the i would cycle to his house via the park and then we would cycle from his house to the office me behind him so i could learn how to go on the road there you go um awesome skills um and then so we we actually we we worked with team sky who now are called ineos we sold like the tour de france bikes we actually raised like half a million pounds charity through doing it nice. but we had the, the big issue we had was we probably raised for ourselves in terms of sales about a thousand pounds over four years because we found out one very key problem which is that the only bikes really sold online are stolen because any marketplace you basically need power sellers to get scale like if you you look at any ebay documents or any marketplace you need a power seller so that is a seller that is selling multiple of an item because there are always four roughly the ratio is 40 buyers to one seller so to make that work, you need a seller who will sell 40 items. In the bike market, that is bike thieves. So we never got enough stock. We always we always had demand with never enough stock. Oh, my God. And so we had to make a decision after about three years. It was like either 
we just go all in and just sort of just go right let's accept we're bike thieves or bike fencers <laughs> let's let's make money or we stick to our guns as kind of like ethical and our purpose and uh that's what we decided <laughs> and so we, we stopped um I mean, it was an awesome experience I mean, sure, all of so London much. was very proud happy with <laughs> yeah well it was it was uh it was we did so many silly things I mean we like we, we blew all of our money on launch initial money on launch like so many mistakes which you go back to and go we need to make a big bang and then so many mistakes but i would do it all over again yeah. because a we had such a good time doing it we got to experiment and do some really stupid stuff marketing wise like we had a whole we had a whole uh marketing thing called i could have stolen your bike we but we won't but we won't because we're unethical so we went around london putting these these stickers on people's bikes going that was our mar- that was one of our marketing ideas we did videos about us trying to break like trying to break bike locks but saying we were useless at it because we that wasn't our thing we were for not we were non bike anyway so we had lots of fun um as, as you're yeah. filming and you have the huge ratchet set and somebody's like what the hell are you doing with my bus <laughs> oh, yeah filming. we got, we got com- us. <laughs> exactly um awesome. yeah it was lots of fun um and so yeah, I was I would say you could you could you could write a, a number of blooper reels on that on that one experience. <laughs> That's why I love a lean startup by Eric Rees. It's kind mm. of like when I I saw him speak in London in about 2014, mm. I was like, oh, I wish I'd heard this talk four years ago. It's just <laughs> like when someone captures all of your learnings and distills them into a really coherent framework, you're like, yes, yes, okay, I did that wrong. No, no, yeah, I did that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. Like, okay, dude, all you're doing is following me around with the camera and and documenting it. <laughs> teaching it. This is no fair. <laughs> but but I think taking those lessons into my next business made it made it really really powerful in terms of sort of product market fit and taking that slight startup mentality into a scaling business and understanding. I, I do think some people are better at zero to one. And some people are better at scaling. And I think zero to, I think, I don't think I'm as good at zero to one. I think I've always been much better at the scaling part, but I think they're different personality types to degree. I do think you can shift, Mm. but zero to one requires such clear focus. Just get it down, perseverance, just almost a really, just not looking up too often, just really making it work. And then suddenly you move into scaling. It's like doing it through other people, being a bit more on the business, looking further ahead, bringing it all together, making sure that you've sort of got all these different divisions like sales, finance, marketing, all HR, all actually collaborating, building a culture. They're different challenges. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, and I'm, I've been starting to advocate that people that are the startup ones to find the operations person so that when you get to that point you can bring them in sell the business and then go do it all again because that's where your happy place is and if that's where your happy place is that's totally cool <laughs> just keep doing it yeah but I, I think people i think people i do think some people can can evolve and i think some people really like the challenge mm-hmm. like one of, one of my friends who, I, who actually was my earliest guest in the podcast 
we had this bet on who could who could build a hundred million pound business first, and like he's he's done it. Um, but at one stage, I was like, we should we should merge, you know, because we're in a similar industry. Like I've really got the sort of the the business bit. You're really good at sort of the sort of the recruiting bit. We could be a powerhouse together. And he was like, yeah, but I kind of want to all want to do it myself. <laughs> And actually, I think that learning journey is quite important because mm. some people do want to evolve and do the shift. And it is a different challenge and it's kind of exciting to go through it. And often bringing in that person to fix everything can cause problems as well, because if you're not ready to let go, we don't want to let mm. go. They're not going to do it your way. They're not going to. So it's definitely got to be at the, <laughs> the right time and place. For yeah. sure. But that, that's why they talk to you, because then they can figure out where that point is. That is true. There you go. James, you've been absolutely awesome. Any last words for our peeps? No, just 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 reach out if anything, if anything struck a chord. Um, always happy to chat. Love it. Um, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Michelle. Thank you. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here today. Please be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.